listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. Today we are joined by Doug Morrow, Director ESG at BMO Capital Markets, for a deep dive into the ESG landscape and equities. I'm Camilla Sutton, MD in Equity Research. Doug, I'm really looking forward to hear the journey you take us on today. And obviously, I'm pleased to welcome you back to our In Tune podcast. Thanks a lot, Camilla. It's great to be back. Terrific. Well, let's get started. Can you walk us through the current ESG landscape and in particular, the key topics that you're discussing with clients? Sure. I mean, there's obviously, um, you know, so much going on in the market uh, these days with, with, with ESG. I think it goes without saying that with COP26 coming up in Glasgow um, in early November, uh, climate change remains front and center in the minds of uh, not just ESG investors, but I would say increasingly all investors across, uh, across the capital markets full stop. Uh, I think that the market will be looking uh, for announcements at the, uh, at the COP26 from countries about uh, potential new emission reduction targets and plans. And as we've seen in the news and, and heard from others, I, I think a particularly divisive issue is coal uh, with some countries, including the UK, uh, France and Germany, uh, pushing for an agreement to halt uh, construction of new coal-fired power plants, while other countries, including China, India and Russia are, are opposing it. So this is definitely going to be an issue uh, that we think investors are going to be monitoring at, at the climate change conference. Uh, I think another issue, again, climate change related, is just the flurry of net zero pledges that we've seen from both countries and companies. This is something that we've we've written about. And uh, I think uh, what's important to note here is that despite uh, the flurry of pledges that we've seen, global emissions are trending well above the Paris Agreement's 1.5 degrees Celsius target. So you know, there are lots of different ways to interpret this, but for sure, I think it presents uh, a real significant opportunity for uh, investors in terms of energy uh, transition. So these are, you know, front and center themes. I guess one other one that I would flag is is greenwashing. So this is one that's been around for a long time. It's a long-standing issue, but I think what you can say is it's really come to a head in the last uh, in the last month as a result of what happened at uh, DWS Group. This is the German uh, asset manager with about a trillion dollars in assets under management, and they got uh, caught up in uh, what we believe is the first ever dedicated greenwashing investigation by a financial regulator. So this happened uh, in late August, and the company's share price dropped approximately 14% when these investigations were announced and has uh, has yet to recover. So it really shows uh, you know, the potential for, for market impact around, around greenwashing. And... I think this is a big issue because ESG has been a massive trend in the financial markets and there's risk that some investors are simply, uh, you know, hopping on the bandwagon a a bit and relabeling their products as ESG without really making any substantive change to their investment process. So uh, I think, uh, you know, I think this is another headline issue and I think on balance, it's actually a good thing for the ESG world over the longer run because it kind of reflects the growing up and maturing that, that the ESG space has to do. Uh, but I think in the short run, it's, it's also clear that some asset managers 
you know, it could get dragged into the spotlight for the wrong reasons. So we think that investors are going to be more sensitive to, um, you know, to making sure that they back up their, their, their claims around ESG integration. So I'd say those are the two big issues right now. You've really summed it up. It's interesting. You move from coal to net zero all the way to greenwashing. It's an interesting time. Doug, at this point, you've really released on quite a few sectors. I'm curious if you could share with us a few of your biggest surprises. Sure. I mean, there's been, um, as you said, now six releases and lots of interesting little tidbits that we've come across. I would say, for instance, uh, with Canadian Real Estate, which we launched way back in, in February of this year, we screened companies for their exposure to green buildings, and we found some really, really substantial differences. Now, green buildings are important because they tend to be much more energy efficient than conventional builds, and they are going to play a really critical role in helping uh, not just companies, but also countries meet their greenhouse gas targets. So we found an enormous range here. So First Capital was the top performer with 76% of its portfolio certified to a green building standard. This includes LEED as well as Energy Star. And this compares at the other end of the spectrum to just 3% for smart centers. So I think that spread was uh, was larger than I was expecting. I guess another little tidbit that we came across was in the food report. This was working with Ken Zaslow's team in the U.S., focusing on the U.S. packaged food group. And, and here we looked in particular at scope three emissions. So this is really um, where the investor action is these days and where investors are actually, or sorry, asking the hardest questions. Uh, scope one and scope two are kind of, um, you know, established and now increasingly investors are moving to consider scope three emissions. These are emissions that are upstream and downstream from an employee, or sorry, from a company's own operations. And I was surprised that, first of all, only three companies within the peer group disclosed their, their uh, scope three emissions. And General Mills was really you know, taking the most aggressive steps to uh, to rein these in through a really interesting initiative that we uh, we talk about in the report called uh, regenerative agriculture, and this partly includes work they're doing with their farmers and their supply chain to adopt low emission practices such as low till and no till and things like that. So people may not realize, but uh, depending upon the way that you cultivate your crops, it can actually have a big impact in the amount of emissions that are released from the soil into the atmosphere and which ultimately get uh, get picked up in a company's um, greenhouse gas uh, footprinting uh, metrics, in this case, General Mills. So I thought that was also really, really interesting and indicative of the leadership that General Mills is showing on ESG. So you've been running our equity research ESG initiative now for well over a year. How is it progressing and what are the latest developments? Yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic to tell you the truth. I've been here, as you said, for just over a year We've made significant progress rolling out this, this initiative and plan, and the feedback that we've received from both issuers and investor clients has been positive. So just to describe for the audience, there's basically three prongs to our ESG initiative. The first prong is publishing our ESG tear sheets for the companies in our coverage. And as listeners may know, we've taken a bit of a unique approach for assessing issuers on ESG relative to other equity research departments in Canada. For a start, we refrain from assigning a single composite ESG score. We think that this is somewhat reductionist and 
In addition, these rolled up scores really necessitate difficult decisions about what should be measured and how they should be weighted in, in a final score. So what we do is instead shine a light on some of the relevant performance indicators, such as, you know, the percentage of recycled packaging in the food industry, the percentage of a portfolio certified to a green building standard like LEED in the real estate industry, uh, methane intensity in the oil and gas industry, so on and so forth. And I think another point to flag for listeners is that we also work closely with our fundamental analysts in the course of doing these uh, these tear sheets to unearth what we think are valuable qualitative insights about how uh, management teams are addressing the key ESG risks and opportunities in their sector. So that's really the first prong in the, in the initiative. We have launched tear sheets now for six industries and counting, covering almost 100 companies, with the most recent being the Canadian packaging uh, industry. And we've got lots more in the pipeline and the response from the analyst teams has been positive. And in general, I think uh, they are excited to build out an ESG framework to assess their companies. Um, the second prong is publishing ESG content. And as your listeners uh, may know, we have established a biweekly ESG periodical called ESG Matters. Uh, this is basically a platform for us to give our view on important developments taking place in the ESG world and what they mean for investors. We've published nine reports in the series so far, the most recent one being published on September 24th, where we looked at greenhouse gas emissions intensity across the S&P uh, TSX 60. So the feedback, uh, once again, has been positive uh, from clients for the series, and we certainly look forward to ramping up uh, more publications in the future. And I guess the final component I would just flag um, is that we are, the team is acting as a source of ESG expertise within the equity research team, but also across capital markets and the full BMO organization more broadly. So there's lots of information sharing going on across the bank on ESG. And, you know, I've had the privilege to engage with multiple teams across the bank on, on ESG, ranging from, you know, BMO GAM and our ETF team to debt financing and sustainable finance. So there's lots of engagement and collaboration going on behind the scenes. Uh, so yeah, overall, I think it's going, the ESG initiative with inequity research is going really well and definitely looking forward to keeping that momentum going into uh, 2022. So I'll confess, your reports are probably amongst my favorite. Um, and in one of the, your recent ESG matter publications, you looked at greenhouse gas or GHG intensity of the S&P TSX 60, and you drew some really interesting conclusions. I know you mentioned that briefly, but maybe you could walk us through those, you know, highlighting particularly where they're most important for investors. Sure, sure. So yeah, I mean, for us, this is just a new way of thinking about and analyzing companies. And what we did is we decomposed the constituents on the S&P uh, TSX 60 uh, as you said, by looking at greenhouse gas emissions intensity. So this is scope one and two greenhouse gas emissions over million dollars of revenue. It's a really important metric for investors because uh, portfolio managers around Canada and indeed the world, and not simply those managing you know, specific climate funds, they're increasingly thinking about the amount of carbon in their portfolios, how, how it compares to the benchmark, uh, and also differences between industries uh, and companies within industries in terms of how 
much carbon they need to burn in order to generate revenue and ultimately profits and returns to shareholders. So, you know, I don't want to overplay its significance. I mean, we, we kind of make clear in the note that greenhouse gas intensity is one of a basket of metrics that investors can use. But the advantage is, is that it's widely used and highly accessible. So when we what we found is, as we expected to see, the utility sector in Canada has the highest average greenhouse gas intensity on the TSX 60 with an average of just under 1500 tons of uh, carbon dioxide equivalent for every million dollars of revenue. But I think I don't think that's particularly surprising. I think what some investors might find surprising is the range. So the range was quite remarkable with um, Amira at the high end uh, emitting approximately 2,600 tons of carbon uh, per uh, million dollars of revenue and Brookfield infrastructure all the way at the other end of the spectrum emitting only 471. So that's an enormous differential. And most of it comes from the fact that Amera has um, coal exposure, but they have also announced that they have implemented or uh, are planning a, a low carbon transition, and they've also set reduction targets. So we do expect that number to decline over time. We also found significant spreads, perhaps not as significant, but definitely important spreads within energy. This uh, we found here that the range is from uh, 149 uh, tons. This is this is Cameco all the way to TC Energy's 1,240 tons at the high end. And within materials, the best performer was CCL Industries with 74 tons of carbon, and it ranged all the way to, uh, to first quantum uh, minerals with 679 tons per million dollars of revenue. So the, the main message here is that when investors you know, think about uh, their investment process and, and allocations to different industries, we think that over time, this metric will become increasingly important because we think that other factors held constant, companies with a low greenhouse gas emissions intensity are better prepared as the world moves towards that 1.5 degree target we talked about with the, with the Paris Agreement. So Doug, one of the other differentiators of your approach to ESG has been your introduction of tear sheets. So very simple, two pages on each published company. And recently you partnered with BMO analyst Steve McLeod to look at the Canadian packaging industry. I'm curious if you can walk us through kind of some of your findings there and a little bit more about what the tear sheets are. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, as, uh, as I mentioned, we've launched for six industries and counting. And the most recent one, uh, we partnered with, uh, with Steve McLeod and put out a note on ESG within the Canadian uh, packaging industry. We look specifically at three uh, companies, CCL Industries, uh, Intertape, uh, Polymer Group, and Winpack. And essentially, we assessed these companies on their strategies around climate change, steps they're taking to minimize waste in their operations, uh, packaging, of course, which is probably the most important issue for the industry, um, and as well, how they think about and govern ESG within their organizations in terms of, you know, does the board provide oversight, etc. I think the main message here is really that CCL tended to come out on top on most measures, including, for example, the amount of energy and water that the company uses per unit of revenue, as well as uh, the percentage of waste that's recycled. Uh, they also scored favorably on diversity metrics. So we do tend to look at diversity uh, within each industry that we assess because we think it is of cross-cutting importance. There's lots and lots of literature suggesting that more diverse management teams and boards make better 
uh, business decisions and are also less prone to groupthink. So we do think it's important to look at diversity uh, across industries. Uh, and here again, CCL came out on top with uh, women comprising 42% of their board and directors that self-identify as BIPOC uh, representing 8%. And I guess, you know, in addition to these metrics, I think the most important thematic I would flag for investors is just how uh, the packaging industry is increasingly contending with this idea of the circular economy. So this is something that listeners may be familiar with, but it's essentially this, this paradigm where waste from one process ends up being an input into another process, or as we put it in the note, the continuous flow of uh, technical and biological materials in a feedback-rich value cycle. So again, the, the basic idea here is that over time, we think the economy is incrementally moving away from uh, a linear approach to this circular uh, economy idea. And you know, we, we certainly acknowledge that it's extremely complex and I think truly achieving a circular economy would require many types of behavioral changes, probably at all stages of the supply chain. But again, we, we definitely see this occurring in, in increments over time. And I think, you know, some of the initiatives that caught our eye in this regard were CCL's involvement with uh, the new plastics economy, a global commitment. Uh, Intertape has engaged uh, William McDonough. He's a well-known uh, circular economy author and specialist. They've, um, they're working with him as a strategic advisor and four of Intertape's products now have received um, the cradle to cradle uh, certification. And Wimpack is also targeting 100% uh, sustainable products uh, by 2025. So I guess, again, just to highlight the main message here, I think when investors think about the packaging industry over time, um, it's it's really, in our minds, incrementally moving towards this new exciting paradigm of, uh, of the circular economy. That's really interesting. So Doug, we're already at final thoughts. What are some of the major ESG events on the horizon? And is there anything else that you'd like to leave us with in closing remarks? Well, again, I think when I scan ahead, COP26 taking place in Glasgow in early November figures prominently. It's what everyone's talking about, everyone's waiting for. Uh, I think listeners might also be interested to know that at this conference, the IFRS Foundation is expected to announce the headquarters for the new and super exciting uh, International Sustainability Standards Board. And Canada has made a well publicized bid to host this body. It's been supported by uh, the Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada, as well as several pension funds and companies, including BMO. So lots of support for this. And uh, it would be absolutely fantastic if Canada could get this and be the headquarters for this new organization. Uh, we've written about this previously in ESG Matters. So this is a group that is uh, looking to build out a set of uh, standardized and comparable uh, ESG metrics to facilitate comparisons uh, across uh, or within industries by by investors. So really, really important. And I'm, I'm certainly hopeful that Canada gets it. So this is certainly top of mind. Uh, there's also lots going on with biodiversity. Uh, there's a new initiative taking place with that. Uh, I think biodiversity has kind of lived in the shadows a little bit of, of climate change, but is now kind of moving into its, uh, into its own uh, as an independent issue, which I think is hugely important. So yeah, lots of interesting and exciting stuff on the horizon. As always, Doug, it's such a pleasure to hear your thoughts on ESG. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure.
That was Doug Morrow, Director ESG at BMO Capital Markets. BMO Capital Markets is proud to deliver thoughtful analysis of upcoming equity research trends that will prove important to clients' investment decisions through both this In Tune podcast, as well as our commodity-specific Metals Matters, hosted by Colin Hamilton. If you enjoyed today's In Tune podcast, please do subscribe and rate it. Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.